in our study of Ephesians over these last several weeks, what we've been doing is looking at God's plan. And when we look at God's plan, that's where we've discovered who we are. And not only that, but who we can become. And then in that, we discover our purpose. And here in this last chapter of Paul's letter, he says to the believers, now hold on tight to everything I've told you. Hold on tight to God's promises. Hold on tight to his truths. Because there's a war over you. We look at our Christian walk and we say, well, we've surrendered our lives to Jesus. We believe that we've been given all that we have back over to God. And yet, the times come and we just feel worn out. We're just tired, both physically and spiritually. Those spiritual highs and lows, they come. We find ourselves in a valley. We find ourselves wandering in the desert. And frankly, sometimes it's just hard to stay strong. But that's exactly how Paul starts. He says, stay strong. Be strong, but be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord's power. Remember back in the first chapter of Ephesians, he said, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. That's the power. Be strong in that power, not your own. Be strong in his power. Because the war that we're in, the battle that we're fighting is greater than us. It's not a battle with flesh and blood enemies. It's a battle with the spiritual forces of darkness. It's a war with the prince of darkness. Our real battle is against Satan. Our battle is against evil. We may not see the face of evil. We may not see the forces of evil around us. But we see the work that evil produces. Because while good seeks to glorify God, evil seeks to glorify self. And while good seeks to bring order and peace, evil seeks to bring chaos and disrupt peace. While good seeks to bring hope and life, evil seeks to bring despair and death. While good seeks to love others, evil seeks contempt and hatred of others. Even evil done within the guise of good, it's still evil. There's no part of our life that has not been touched by evil. It ruins our circumstances, it mars our character, and it's affected all of God's creation. And so Paul says, put on every piece of God's armor so that you can resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then Paul continues to speak about each piece of armor. And he starts with, put on the belt of truth. 
Now, belts are not usually the first thing that we put on when we get dressed. Belts are usually an accessory item and usually the last thing that we put on. But Paul says, no, put the belt of truth on first. Because we need to understand in the Roman armor the purpose of the belt. Some translations say it this way. Having girded your waist with truth. Stand firm, having girded your loins with truth. See, to gird something is to wrap around it, to surround it in such a way that it supports it and it strengthens it. It really is a word often used in preparation for battle, in preparation for trying times, for difficult times. Before David went to battle, this is what he said of God in Psalm, 1, uh, Psalm 18. For you have girded me with strength for battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. Now see, the early church was familiar with the knowledge of this belt. They referred to it as the girdle. But they knew that it wasn't just the first piece. It was the crucial piece of the armor. Because when you had the belt on, every other piece of armor that you then put on was secured to the belt. And so if you didn't have the belt, all your other pieces would just be flapping around. And you would have no protection whatsoever. The belt was absolutely critical for the armor to be effective. Now, Paul calls it the belt of truth. So then that leads us to the question, well, what is truth? It was this question asked by Pontius Pilate before Jesus was condemned to death. John 18, it goes like this. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews. Pilate asked the single most important question that faces all of mankind that men for thousands of years have been trying to figure out. And the irony was that he was standing before the one who could give him the answer. But he turned away. He didn't really want to hear what the truth was. Like many people today, he was content and comfortable where he was at with his own definition of truth. Maybe he was worried that his view and perspective might be disrupted. But for years, philosophy is based on what is truth. Truth is abstract, they say. Truth is undefinable, they say. It's personal, and truth is individual, they say. And they just keep talking circles around truth, sounding really important and really knowledgeable, and yet they never define truth. You know, there are three elements to truth. 
Truth is based on reality. It's just the way things are. The second element with truth is it's consistent and it's universal. In other words, truth remains truth whether you believe it or not. And the third element is that truth never changes. Truth can't change. Otherwise, there's never truth to begin with. John MacArthur defines truth this way. Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, the will, the character, the glory, and the being of God. Simply put, truth is the self-expression of God. The self-expression of God. Truth is the reality of the way things are. And reality is the way things are because that's how God made it. God's the author, the source, the arbiter, the ultimate standard, and the final judge of all truth. And that's why the world can't define it. They want to take the creator of truth out of the equation. That's impossible. That's like defining an apple without saying the things that make it an apple. You can't do it. Scripture has always given us clear pictures of truth. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Jesus referred to himself as the way, the truth, and the life. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the image of God. Therefore, making him truth incarnate. Jesus further testifies that scripture is also truth. As he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane in John 17, 17, he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. See, in these verses, we see the elements of truth come together. With the perfection and the reality of God's created order in his eternal attributes, and in his word. See, we like to get tripped up on the fact that truth never changes. See, our understanding of truth changes, but truth itself never changes. You know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, uh, people believed that the earth was flat. Now, of course, we know that the earth is indeed round. The truth didn't change, even when people believed the earth was flat. The earth was not flat. The earth was round. Our our understanding of it changed, but the truth itself remained the same. Even God's word told us that the earth was round. That's truth. God sits above the circle of the earth. God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. That's scripture saying what the truth is. Just our understanding of truth changed, not truth. But see, the world keeps trying to tell us, no, truth is subjective. It's individual and relative just to what we experience in our own lives. The world's tried to convince us that all truth is based on what the majority of the people believe. But truth is never about our beliefs. It's never about our emotions. 
It's never about what we're able to understand. Truth is not what makes us feel good. It's not whatever we choose it to be. Truth is truth because there's something about it that's steady. It's unchanging and it's absolute. Truth is truth because God established it. Try to define truth without using God in the definition. I bet you can't do it. The one thing that all scholars agree on is that your view of truth is what impacts how you live. Which is why Paul says, gird yourself with the belt of truth. Because as we start to go and we look at all the other pieces of armor, if we're not grounded in our truth, then, then we're not going to be protected. Our belt's not going to hold the rest of the armor together. Because if our truth is skewed, then our practice of truth is also skewed. But you know what? Satan knows it. Satan is fully aware of our insecurities, our doubts, and our fears. You know, there was a study done in 2009 about the beliefs of evangelical Christians, and it said that 59% of evangelical Christians believe that Satan was not a living being, but rather just a symbol of evil. But Satan is real. He is very, very real. Scripture talks a lot about the reality of Satan. Jesus himself, when he was praying in the garden of Gethsemane, said, Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. But since the beginning of mankind, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Satan has been using his schemes to trick us and to deceive us. The one who's referred to in scripture as a murderer, the father of lies, the prince of this world. He takes God's word and he twists it into something that makes us feel more comfortable. Something that makes us feel good in the moment. The very first words that we hear Satan utter in Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Hmm, interesting how he twisted it. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? That's not what God said. And in this one sentence, Satan plants a seed of doubt in Eve's mind and causes her to rethink and question her belief about what God said. He's crafty and he's sly and he continues to do it today. He has the world convinced that we're all one and the same. What's good for me must also be good for you. What's bad for me is also bad for you. And Satan says, if I believe it's right, then you should believe it's right. If I believe it's wrong, then you should believe it's wrong. You can't have your own opinion. We need to have the same opinion. 
Otherwise, you're wrong. That's what Satan tells us. Satan tells me that I'm more important than you. What I want is more important than what you want. And Satan tells me that I don't need to forgive you. I can make you hurt as much as I hurt. But the truth in God's word says we may not agree, but I'll never stop showing you love. The truth in God's word is that even though you've hurt me, and you may not understand me, I will never stop showing you love and telling you how valued you are in God's eyes. That's the truth. Belief in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that provides us with our belt of truth. But it doesn't do us any good to leave it in the closet. We need to actually put that belt on. It's not just about the belief. It's also about the action. How are you letting that belief flow out of you? You know, in our armed forces, our soldiers wear camo fatigues to blend into their surroundings and hide from the enemy. It's really a matter of survival. But in God's kingdom, everything worldly is turned upside down. In God's kingdom, we don't wear camo. We're meant to stand out, especially to the enemy. We're supposed to be different because if we blend in and look like the rest of the world, then we better check whose side we're really on. See, to put on the belt of truth requires more than just our belief. It's about the practice. It's about our life reflecting the truth. 1 Peter 1 says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy for I am holy. See, the truth is that we're not called to reflect the culture. We're commanded to reflect the kingdom. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation, a chosen people, dearly loved, but we need to act like it. See, the truth of God's word is countercultural. It goes against every societal norm out there. Satan tells us that the Bible is an outdated book, that it's not applying for us today. But the truth is that all scripture is inspired by God and useful for us. Satan tells you to hold a grudge. Satan says, go after that person that hurt you to get what's rightfully yours. But the truth is, Jesus commands us to love our neighbor to pray for our enemies and bless those who curse us. Satan tells us that the church is unnecessary, or at the very least, just something you go to every now and then. But the truth is, we don't just go to church every week because it makes us happy. The truth is, we go to church because we want to see lives transformed by the power of God. 
The truth is that the message of God's truth should cut to the core of our soul. And that we leave this place challenged and changed. Becoming more and more like Christ. But in our pursuit of being our own God and controlling our own life, we've taken our beliefs and then gone to Scripture to see how we can fit Scripture into our beliefs. We've let Satan feed us lies that make us feel good while we lose our most powerful weapon against him. It's no wonder the church overall has become irrelevant, impotent in the world, and ineffective in today's world because we've stopped putting on the belt of truth. This past week in our current political events, I've seen name-calling, I've seen horrible acts committed in the voice of protest with headlines that say, hate one, hate one. We need to bring it back. But you know what? The truth is that love will always win. And the truth is that love won 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross. And it's this love that is the foundation and the revelation of truth. The truth that God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son so that everyone that believes in him will have eternal life. We can't underestimate the power in our armor. The power that's available to us only because of the blood of Christ. When we buckle on the belt of truth, it sets the foundation for all the other pieces of our armor. We're going to stand out to the enemy. But the good news is that with our armor comes the power of God and his protection. So what are you wearing this morning? Jesus is calling every one of us and saying to our weary souls, I know it's hard. I know you're tired. Come with me. We don't know what tomorrow holds. But when we buckle on the belt of truth and we clothe ourselves with Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, that's where we're going to find our strength to fight the spiritual battles out there. I'll leave you with this verse from Romans 13. This is all the more urgent for you now how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness, or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living, or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Hold tight to the truth. 
You are chosen. You are redeemed by the blood of Christ. You are seated with him in the heavenly realms. And the same power that raised him from the dead is in you. But don't leave it hanging in the closet. Use it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. Oh, we thank you for Jesus. Truth incarnate, Father. The King who came down shed his blood for us. Father, your love amazes. Your love wows. Your love awes us. As we leave this place, may we take your love with us. May we shine it like a light so others see it. May we be a witness to your glory as, as we leave this place. Father, may, may the people in this room, Lord, may they hold tight to your truth. May they hold tight in the knowledge that they are chosen and redeemed by you. That they are a holy nation, that they are a royal priesthood, reflecting your glory. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.